Hey there guys, welcome to my third August Shedlet, which as you know by now is a mini holy shed because I'm taking it a little bit easy during August and uh, you know, I don't want to do anything too taxing to the brain, my brain that is, but I did want to spend a little bit of time with you. Now, as you'll know, if you follow me on Facebook, me and my missus had our birthdays this week on successive days. Happens like that every year as it goes. And uh, part of our celebration, our season of birthdays really, was a trip this weekend to Liverpool. Well, it was actually more to the Southport area really for various reasons. And over the weekend, apart from seeing Pat's lovely sister and her husband and having a barbecue with our gorgeous niece Wendy and her family, doing a spot of bird watching as you do. Uh, we went to see Anthony Gormley's magnificent uh, exhibition on Crosby Beach uh, called Another Place. I'm sure you've, you've, you know, you'd have heard about it by now because it's very famous. It's where Gormley created a hundred, imagine this, a hundred cast iron figures and, and they're spread out along two miles of the beach, each and every one of them just gazing out to sea. Absolutely stunning. All of the figures, which are based on a mould of his own naked body, are now in various stages of corruption by the sea and the elements. And um, some are positioned so that they're submerged by each and every incoming tide. Uh, others, closer to land, are half buried under the sand brought in by the tides. Anthony Gormley says that another place harnesses the ebb and flow of the tide to explore the human relationship with nature. That's what he's, it's all about, exploring the human nature, the, the human relationship with nature. And in this work, he says, human life is tested against planetary time. Uh, this sculpture, he says, exposes to light and time the nakedness of a particular and peculiar body, no hero, no ideal, just the industrially reproduced body of a middle-aged man trying to breathe, facing a horizon busy with ships, moving materials and manufactured things around the planet. I love that description and especially this idea of trying to breathe, these figures trying to breathe in the face of all that's going on. I think that's something that well, probably we can all identify with at times in our lives. Uh, but like all art, the figures on the beach can speak to each of us in different ways and probably in different ways at different times if we visited them enough. Over the weekend, uh, you know, I was captivated by these gazing faces looking out to sea. The faces are really seriously kind of worn away now by the elements. But um, there's something wonderful about them just gazing out at sea and the beach and the sky on that coastline are vast you know the beach stretches way out to sea at low tide uh, and there's something almost transcendent about the whole environment where sea and sky and beach sort of all merge together in this uh, you know in this amazing place and this is a lovely photograph which i hasten to say i didn't take um but, uh, you know, in this transcendent environment, there are these figures standing there, um, spread out, isolated, 
whose constant gaze is haunting and um, I, 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 I dare you to, to go visit them and look at them and not be deeply moved. Now, as it happens, yesterday was the birthday of Paul Tillich, the um, theologian that I often uh, speak about in the Holy Shed. And uh, it's said that Tillich sometimes would go to the beach and create a mound of sand and sit on it and just gaze out to sea with tears rolling down his cheeks. Now, actually, another of my great heroes and mentors, Frederick Beekner, died this week, age 96. And um, there, there, there's this film of Beekner talking about all kinds of things. It's a great, great video, actually. Um, but there's this one little spot where he talks about this thing about Paul Tillich gazing out to the ocean. And, and Frederick Beekner was taught by Paul Tillich, so he was someone who he knew personally and um, you know I love the way that he he describes this have a, have a listen to this uh, they say that the, whenever the great Protestant theologian Paul Tillich went to the beach he would pile up a mound of sand and sit on it gazing out at the ocean with tears running down his cheeks one wonders what there was about it that moved him so the beauty and power of it the inexpressible mystery of it, the futility of all those waves endlessly flowing in and ebbing out again, the sense that it was out of the ocean that life originally came and that when life finally ends it is the ocean that will still remain, who knows? In his theology, Tillich avoided using the word God because it seemed to him too small, denoting only another being among beings. He preferred to speak of the ground of being of God as that which makes being itself possible, as that because of which existence itself exists. His critics complain that he's being too metaphysical. They say they can't imagine praying to anything so abstract and remote. Maybe Tillich himself shared their difficulty. Maybe it was when he looked at the ocean that he caught a glimpse of the one he was praying to. Maybe what made him weep was how vast and overwhelming it was, and yet at the same time, as near as the breath of it in his nostrils, as salt as his own tears. <laughs> I love that. I hope you can get a feel from that as to why I love Frederick Beekner so much and why I mourn his loss to the world. He was uh, really a prodigal in his own way, really. Very much an outside-the-box kind of person, uh, an outside-the-box writer and theologian. But as he says, there is something astonishing about the sea. And I find Anthony Gormley's naked figures profoundly moving. Um, Gormley himself is not a religious person. He grew up a Catholic and uh, he left all that behind when he was uh, 18 and went to college. He says that he realised that he'd been hoodwinked, um, that the stick and carrot of heaven and hell had been used in his upbringing to underscore and support a kind of tyranny that was absolutely incompatible with being a student in the late 1960s. Well, I think lots of us can identify with, with that about the sort of stick and carrot thing. Uh, but... Nevertheless, 
Gormley does acknowledge that there is a religious dimension to his work and says that it comes from the same source as the human need for religion, which is wanting to look existence full in the face and discover meaning. And looking at the figures uh, in the flesh, as it were, over the weekend, I was struck by Gormley's comment about their nakedness, uh, the nakedness of particular ordinary people facing the world and trying to breathe. Wow. I mean, I could only think as I as I looked of so many people right now facing the hardship of existence um, and trying to, to breathe when they're faced with a cost of living that they just can't afford and the prospect of that getting a whole lot worse as we are told ad nauseum by commentators in the media. Um, or thinking about people in the Ukraine and elsewhere confronted by forces that seem to want to snuff them out for no reason other than the fact that they are. And of course that sort of um, you know, trying to breathe immediately brings to mind George Floyd uh, the the black guy that was killed by by the cop uh, a couple of years ago and the whole movement of, of Black Lives Matter and, and this way in which all of that is summarised in this sense of, of not being able to breathe, of being snuffed out by forces greater than themselves. And um, I guess really there are so many people in different situations in our world who are faced with these unstoppable forces of their particular version of ocean waves that are coming in on them and they're trying to breathe, hoping to survive. And the great thing about Gormley, of course, is that he's a public artist, that his art isn't in, you know, mainly in, in sort of uh, galleries, but it's but it's out there in open spaces. And there's other that, 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 that other great piece of art, which we're all familiar with, the Angel of the North, <clears throat> and I love it that this great figure, this angelic figure, does not stand in a cathedral. Actually, it's as big as a cathedral. Uh, no, it stands at the head of the Tyne Valley, overlooking Gateshead in the post-industrial north. And for a while, it was it was dressed in a Newcastle United shirt with Shearer on the back, making the point that this is a local protecting angel whose function is to link the mining past with the future and to focus the hopes and fears of a region struggling with decline. Now, clearly Anthony Gormley doesn't believe in literal angels and yet somehow there's something so deeply perceptive in this figure of the Angel of the North. I think that he understands what, you know, the idea of angels points to very, very clearly. I mean, oh my goodness, he, he clearly felt the people whose lives are at the mercy of almighty economic and political forces need something to hope in, some kind of guardian angel that is with them in and through all of this. And when I have stood in front of the Angel of the North, I, I see this as a sort of incredible reminder that none of us are ever alone in pain and suffering. And that, you know, the whole notion of angels um, you know, it, 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 it is pointing to some deeper reality within us. We don't have to believe in literal feathery creatures, you know, flapping their wings all over the place to believe in angels. I mean, that's a kind of Sunday school image. Well, it's, it's night language, really, I suppose, 
to try to point to something that can't be expressed in literal daytime language without it sounding ridiculous. Uh, but reductionism, you know, this kind of uh, the, the tyranny of rationalism is the great flaw in, in an awful lot of anti-religious rhetoric that fails to see that it's not taking the language literally that matters. It's seeing what it is trying to struggle with, what it's trying to apprehend, what it's trying to point towards. Um, as Hamlet uh, famously tells his faithful, faithful friend, there's more in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And I deeply believe that, you know, while I'm very much a rationalist, my whole approach to faith and to much in life uh, is critical. But I believe that there is more to reality than we can see or hear or touch or figure out in our heads. And I find that it's in art, like Anthony Gormley's, that I encounter that uh, so powerfully. I think that artists and musicians, whether they themselves are religious or not, are often priests in their own right, secular priests, if you will, mediating spiritual realities that all too often the church has failed to, to introduce us to or to mediate to us. Uh, in a way, you could say that for me, art is art is always a place of encounter with the beyond. That's, that's how I approach art. And that's really what the church is supposed to be, and I think sometimes is, a place of encounter with the beyond. But I think art does this so powerfully, opens doors of possibility, the cold rationalism slams the door firmly shut upon. Um, I love the, the, the Mary Oliver poem which says, keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable. Great line. Keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable. To me, you know, faith isn't about a list of beliefs. It's about that. It's about opening the heart. Faith is an open heart. Opening the heart to this possibility to give God or angels or hopes and dreams or unimaginable things somewhere to land within us, you know, to find a place within us. Uh, so, so take this thought with you. Keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable. In fact, I'll tell you what, let's drink to it, should we? If you have something handy, a glass of something, then please uh, just join me in a toast. A toast to the unimaginable, you know, and keeping some space for the unimaginable when harsh reality seems to strangle it, to crowd it out, to snuff it out. So guys, here is to the unimaginable, to life, Lahaim. So that is all so wonderful. And if you like what I'm doing here in the Holy Shed, you can support us by buying us a coffee. Go to the coffee site here. The link is there and it's always at the top of the post on the, catching my breath, on the Holy Shed Facebook page. And um, we are so, so grateful to all of you who encourage us in this way and in lots of other ways too. It's much appreciated. So there it is. Um, I think, oh, I know what I was going to say. The, the, so you may have noticed this morning I did a pause for thought on the Good Morning Sunday show with Kate Botley, which I've never done before. And uh, it's always a lot of fun to be with Kate. And um, 
it, it was great and if you weren't there and you'd like to hear it i will put a link up on facebook so that you can um, take a look yourselves so that's just about it really um i'll see you soon stay human and be kind to yourselves bye